The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by father-daughter dragon slayers. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and I'm joined, as always, by my daughter. Hello. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode 20, Saint Geek and the Dragon, and we'll be talking about everyone's favorite fire-breathing reptiles as brought to life in such movies as Dragon Slayer, Dragonheart, and Reign of Fire. But first, a quick reminder to check in with us on Twitter and the Facebook, and drop by generationsgeek.com for handy links to all of our shows on the Chronic Rift Network. And you can email us at thegeeks at generationsgeek.com. Now, on with the show. Everybody loves dragons, don't they? Everybody. You gotta love dragons. Mm -hmm. So we have watched three big-time dragon movies, all three of which you were seeing for the first time. Mm -hmm. So we're going to compare and contrast these three movies and some other dragon things as well. Spoiler alert, since all these movies are several years old, even decades old, we're just going to wreck them. We're just going to wreck these plots. (laughs) We are going to set these plots on fire and burn them to the ground. One of the movies, I think it was Dragonheart, opened with like a village burning and like people setting fire to roofs and stuff. In every movie that's set in medieval times, everyone's roofs are made out of hay and they always get burned down. Yes. And they always are like dry and it's always like summer and they're always just horribly <laughs> burned. And it's like start yep. making your <clears throat> roofs out of something else. Yeah, some slate. Uh, <laughs> you have to think of the... Uh, Learn something. It's surfs. like the... Come on. Yeah, the three little pigs. You know? <laughs> exactly. It's like, um, <laughs> so... <laughs> We're going to start with 1981's Dragon Slayer, which star- stars uh, Peter McNichol as a wizard's apprentice who tries to go head-to-head with a, with a mean dragon. This is a classic dragon. It's just a bad, fire-breathing guy. And they, they, you know, a twist on that comes up in the next film we'll discuss, Dragonheart. But Dragon Slayer, you saw it for the first time. What did you think? Eh. Yeah. Only, only eh? Eh. I liked it. I mean, I I saw it when I was in high school, when it first came out on the big screen, and I remembered that I had enjoyed it then, and I was a little concerned about how it would have aged, and uh, I found it to still be a a quite likable movie uh, after all these years. What was your uh, problem with it? At the beginning, there's Mm -hmm. the really... um, I mean, it's one of the central plot points, really, when the wizard is killed. Mm -hmm. Quote, killed, unquote. But it happens so quickly, and, like, it just threw you into it, and so I wasn't invested in the characters, like, Mm -hmm. at all. So he died, and I was like, well, like, that was weird. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really, like, care. I guess I see what you mean, but, you know, they're kind of archetypal characters, that didn't bother me so much. I could tell something was up because mm-hmm. he makes it seem like he's this big like fraud, like I'm a fake because he actually mm-hmm. he it seems like he dies. But then uh cuz he shuts his apprentice in with magic like he slams all the windows and the doors and doesn't let him out. Yeah, so the viewers understand that yeah. he really does have so magical powers. You're like something is up here, but, but the other characters I... in the scene 
think he's a fraud and he doesn't do anything to dissuade I them. I didn't, I didn't care about it that much. And it so you like weren't invested. Old man stabbing. Like, when... okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It comes back to my entire, it comes back to my like world building oh, thing. Yeah, the world building. Every time. And it's like in this, when I say world building, I don't always necessarily mean that you have to make it obvious how this world is different from uh, how we, like, live our lives. Yeah, because in this film, it's like the generic medieval setting with dragons. Everyone kind of understands that, just like, you know, understanding a Western or whatever. It's 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 sort of a set universe. Yeah, but you don't really understand, to the fullest extent that you could, the relationship between the apprentice and the wizard. Like, we don't really know how long they've known each other. Like, it's obvious that they really share a bond. Mm-hmm. But they could have broken our hearts, but it might just be me being, like, cold and unforgiving <laughs> and just generally soulless, but I, it takes me a little bit to get invested you in want more. You want more time to get to know the characters yeah. so that you experience yeah. the loss more uh, mm-hmm. deeply. Let's just talk a little bit about the dragon. How does the dragon hit you? One thing I did like was that they didn't really show the entire dragon for a long time. Yes, um, there was a nice kind of, slow that had, burn. Like, a nice impact because you realize, like, dang, look at how huge this thing is. Yeah, if, if that's just the tail, like, look and yeah. Yeah, they did a great job of building. I mean, that's a that's a classic uh, movie making technique in monster movies is yeah. those glimpses that slowly build. So that when you finally build. get the like big shot of it flying and like yeah. roaring, then it's like, oh god, look at those teeth! Oh my gosh! Yeah, and. It's a great way to use the special effects that are available to you. This was pre-CGI. They can't easily show you every big, huge shot like we get in movies now, and so it there's this more emotional building. I want to talk a little bit about the special effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, special effects were by Phil Tippett. He had come up with this technique called Go Motion that he had co-developed with Industrial Light and Magic on the Empire Strikes Back for the Tauntauns. And instead of instead of having it be straight stop motion puppetry, the models, like the the dragon puppet, was attached. It was like a rod puppet that was attached to a computer so that it could make moves over and over again, and they could move it during the exposure of the frames so that it would have blur and make it a more fluid and realistic appearing special effect. Of course. Looking back on it now, it still seems kind of primitive from our modern CGI world, but it was a scary dragon. Mm-hmm. I also like both in um, Dragon Slayer and Dragonheart, the dragons use their tails almost mm-hmm. like an ankylosaurus, and I really like when people yep. put those little touches in there. Like yep. It makes the dragon seem like more real, like something that could actually be alive. I liked the dragon. I liked the use of the baby dragons. Yeah, I Which love the little baby, creepy. like, half-dinosaur, like, Ray Harryhausen mystery creature with yeah. the big, like, fat bulldog heads. Those and instead great. of doing some sort of... You could almost see a lesser movie doing some sort of cutesy scene with the baby dragons, but in this movie, instead, you see them devouring the poor woman that's been yeah. sacrificed to save the village. And it's kind of gruesome. It's surprisingly uh, bloody and graphic. Let's do one of our major spoilers right here. So people, if you haven't seen the movie and you want to, plug your ears for a little bit because there's a great twist at the beginning of the movie that comes out of the, the classic nature of the story. 
that this village is sacrificing young women to the dragon to keep it from destroying them. And they've settled upon a particular way of doing this. They hold a lottery um, with all the girls' names in the realm, and whoever's name gets drawn is sacrificed. Yes, and the twist at the beginning is this young man leads a delegation to the wizard to say, you need to come kill this dragon. And then the wizard is apparently killed. The apprentice decides to fulfill the quest. And then he is uh, uh, quite surprised when he inadvertently discovers that... The young man is actually a young woman. Yeah, who's been living as a boy her whole life because her father did that to keep her out of the lottery. I also liked how the other characters talked about it. Like, once everyone figured out, like, there was that scene with a couple older men who were like, she used to be, like, the best warrior in the village, like, the best man, and now yeah. she's the best warrior and, like, the best woman. She has everything. <laughs> like, we didn't have anybody dismiss her. Everyone was like, wow. Yeah, okay. for the most part, everyone went along with it, and uh, it was a great twist. I remember being very surprised by it when I saw it in high school, and so as well, soon she's as... pretty when when the actress is in drag, it's pretty convincing. Yeah, because she looks like a young boy. And I was very surprised to find out when I did a little research that the actress was actually 29 years old when she played this part. I she looks assumed like that she was, you know, 17, 17 or yeah. So, yeah, because she's so she's like it's like uh, Beth in The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, so she convincingly looked like an adolescent boy and then so I was I was pleased that you had been fooled by it as well. One thing I didn't like about the movie, and it's a, it's a picky little thing, but, you know, it, this was, it was 1981. It's the height of Star Wars craze, the original Star Wars movies. And at the end of the film, when the dragon is destroyed, it blows up spectacularly in the sky. Yeah. It, it was kind of like they were doing the Death Star. You know, I mean, it makes sense that a dragon would explode, because how does a dragon work? You know, it's got a... Yeah. Belly full of fire or, you know. Full of chemicals. Or chemicals, you know, gasoline. It has to go down and fill up. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then. The explosion seemed more science fiction than fantasy, but but it was still a great scene. What did you think of the uh, ending of the dragon? I don't know. Let's At that see. point, I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. That's fine. Okay. Because that's after the apprentice has figured out that it was all along, it was a ruse on the part of he the was also, wizard. He was kind of a... He brought the wizard back to life. He was kind of a butt. The wizard? The apprentice was kind of a butt. He seemed kind of like, I don't know. I don't know, like yeah. immature, I guess? Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 it's like because then he like inherits the wizard, the wizard's powers and like immediately starts like harassing that like poor old man that's like carrying all his stuff for him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you were... dude... Yeah, he was supposed to be sort of an arrogant adolescent kid that got, uh, you know, quite full of himself when he thought, okay, I'm the wizard now, and he got all, mm -mm -mm. but then it's like he finally... And then later he's like, no, like, I have magic, I can do this, and then he tries to, like, make this table fly around, and it just kind of, like, falls over, and I'm like, yeah. that seems about right, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, that was, that was the arc of his character, mm -hmm. that he eventually learned that, well, no, I'm not a wizard, a true wizard. I'm still learning. So overall, on a scale of uh, one to five fireballs from uh, a dragon's mouth, what would you give it? Uh, <laughs> two, three fireballs, maybe? <laughs> <I've>... <laughs> 
before we move on to the next one, I want to mention a couple of uh, interesting casting things in the movie. Ralph Richardson, who played the wizard, he played the supreme being in Time Bandits. So that was a fun little geek connection there. And there was a a priest or a monk of some sort, Brother Jacopus, who uh, rather quickly gets torched by the dragon yeah. <laughs> while they're trying to uh, make another sacrifice. Uh, he was played by Ian McDarmid, who, of course, was the Emperor slash Palpatine in the Star Wars movies. So I also really liked um, the princess of the realm. You, uh, yes, she finds out that... Um, her name hasn't been going in the lottery every year. Yeah. She makes no. every slip in the pool is her name. Yeah. And so the king calls it and is like, no, that's a mistake, and tries to draw again, and it's like her name again. He's And she's like, no, it's okay. Like, I'm going to yeah. do this. She found, I found out. found out that this isn't fair, yeah. and I'm going to go sacrifice myself now for my kingdom. And yeah, that was a great scene, fabulous scene. A lot scene. better than the normal, like, stereotypical princess. Yeah. And then she's like, light it up, 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 light it up, up, up. And then, of course, Peter McNichol, who played the uh, jerkish, <laughs> the jerkish apprentice, played a rather a funny character in Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen Ghostbusters 2. It's not necessarily worth seeing, yeah, but I thought I... <laughs> I'd mention that Peter McNichol played a funny character in there with an outrageous accent. And... Uh, and he turned up in an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. last year. Oh, I want to watch Ghostbusters. Yeah. So you gave it uh, what, two or three uh, fireballs? Two or three uh, fireballs. I think that's a fair rating. You know, I I don't think... I would probably give it three. It's 2.6 fireballs? Not a, it's not a fabulous movie, but it's, it's a, a good movie and still remarkably effective. So next we move up. We leap forward 15 years to 1996, Dragonheart. Now we've leaped ahead into CGI. This was really one of the first major uses of CGI in a film as a, as a major character. We often think of Gollum as being the first major CGI yeah. character. <laughs> and in many ways, I mean, that's a huge leap ahead of Dragonheart. But, but Dragonheart was a uh, pivotal point in special effects in that regard. Another interesting thing about Dragonheart is that Phil Tippett, who was in the special effects of Dragon Slayer, came back and was also on Dragonheart, except now as a CGI guy. So, again, it was your first viewing. What did you think? I thought that it had a lot of potential. Mm-hmm that was mostly wasted. <laughs> I had no I, I I couldn't help but become aware of how you were kind of fidgeting I while almost, we were watching the I movie. almost asked you if I had to watch the entire thing. I was like, <laughs> do I really have to finish this movie? Like cause I have like lots to watch. So but yeah, I don't know. And it got yeah. a little bit better later on, but it was just it seemed uh the lines were cheesy and just yeah. like this was the, a... the knight teaming up with the dragon to coerce villagers into paying him money is a thing that I'd really like to see, but I don't think they really yeah, the, captured it in a way that The made weird me like thing it. for me was I remembered really liking this movie. I had been concerned about Dragon Slayer's aging 
and I hadn't really been that concerned about Dragonheart. And then it turned out to be exactly the opposite. I thought Dragon Slayer has aged very well, and I thought Dragonheart has aged Should really have been poorly. Concerned about Dragonheart. Yeah. Well, in the entire movie, I was just freaking out because the evil, whiny king the, the is new king. Uh, yeah. played by uh, the same actor that played Remus Lupin. Yep, David Thewlis. So the entire movie, I was like, why is your voice so familiar to me? <laughs> But in a good way, not a bad way, I was like, why are you so... What is going on? And then after, it was like towards the end, I was like, that's Remus Lupin! And then I was like, oh, that's why I was freaking out. Okay, because he's like uber good guy in Harry Potter, and now he's like freaking out. Yeah, I, I think the chief problem with Dragonheart is that it is two different movies. Yeah. One of the movies is the comical story of a dragon slayer teaming up with a dragon. Then the other movie is this very serious drama about the old ways of, of honor amongst the knights and how this new king that the knight has helped raise in the old ways is instead this horrible, self-centered, nightmarish king. And they're intertwined in an awkward way. Yeah. And I just, I really don't think it works that well as a film upon seeing it again. And some of the stuff that's also like supposed to be funny, when the knight first tries to capture the dragon, he like lassos him. He, are you talking about the part where he gets in his mouth? And then he's being pulled along. Well, before that, when, oh, he's, yeah, being when he's being dragged, pulled along. And it seemed to go on for. Ever. It went on forever, and then it's that like he's, he puts, he's hanging from a rope. He puts and the he's, rope in like a tree, and the dragon falls. And it's like I, th- I feel like a dragon would be able to snap a rope. Yeah, and the shots of him being pulled through the forest and running into trees and stuff just goes on and on and on. And even though they had CGI special effects available to them, they didn't really utilize them in that sequence very well. So you don't emotionally. I didn't buy the fact that he's being dragged by the dragon because they hardly ever showed the dragon that scene they just show him hanging from this rope that's swinging through Mm -hmm. the trees and there was one shot that kind of showed upwards so that you saw the dragon flying overhead but it was the the, the scene was awkwardly edited it went on too long then eventually there's the standoff where he's in the mouth of the dragon and he's got his sword out and so the dragon can't chop him because the sword's gonna hurt that was i was so mad during that scene i was like guys like come on it's like because um and why why couldn't the dragon just fire just yeah, that's what i was thinking i was like just burn you'll melt his sword and everything yeah. like off his bones <laughs> and i hardly ever don't like a movie like yeah. i almost always when i go and see a movie like i'll like it even if it has flaws i'll like it mm. and lately i've been watching a whole bunch of movies and i'm just all like no well I think part of that comes, though, as you get older. I guess. You become more discerning and uh, demanding of, of uh, w- what happens in a film. Before I forget, I want to mention some of the geeky connections in the cast. Because Dennis Quaid played the knight. And he's been in a number of genre films over the years. I'm just going to throw out three titles. Enemy Mine, Inner Space, and Dreamscape. I think Inner Space is the one that's probably aged the best of those. It's quite a funny movie. I don't think I've shown you Inner Space yet. No. Oh, we got to see Inner Space. Uh, then, of course, the voice of the dragon, ladies and gentlemen, Sean Connery. 
<laughs> he's James Bond. He's Indiana Jones's dad. He was the sheriff in a great uh, movie called Outland. And he was also in Time Bandits, to throw that out there, because we had Ralph mm -hmm. Richardson from Time Bandits in Dragon Slayer. I kind of feel like talking dragons are a little hard to pull off. How, how did that come across to you, a talking dragon? I didn't like this talking dragon. <laughs> I, he but it was, was Sean Connery. Okay, but like, I, <laughs> no, I, and then like the relationship between like when he was talking to the knight the entire time, I was kind of standing there like, I can't tell if they should just kiss or like <laughs> what? It was a bromance <laughs> between the dragon and the knight. Now that you bring that up, I think it kind of comes back to, what did you say earlier about there was potential that they didn't, yeah, you know, and I think they wasted. if they hadn't been telling two stories so that yeah. it could have focused on the relationship between it was not as cheesy. the dragon and the dragon slayer. Well, and at one point, the dragon saves a girl because they're going after this village and they're like, no, we're just going to sacrifice this girl. It'll be fine. So then he takes her to make it seem like, oh, like yeah. whatever. And then the girl's talking to him. And when the knight comes back, he's like, dude, where were you? I didn't know where you were. You could have been dead. And he was like, sorry, bro. I was talking to this girl over here. You know. <laughs> and I was like, guys, let's yeah. calm down. You're a dragon. And, and then right after that, Evil King shows up. And then you have this huge dramatic confrontation between Evil King and his... Well, and he's just like a whiny teenager. Like, you don't even feel threatened by him. You're just like, yeah. ugh. And like, so... Smack him up. The, yeah, the tone. The tone of the movie is all over the place. And then the dragon has to die because the king has to die and they share a heart. Yeah, it, it turns into a bit of a muddle. It's like when they're both sitting by the campfire and the dragon's like, I don't really have a name. Like, you can't say it. Nobody's been able to say my name for years. And he's like, I'll call you Draco after the stars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like, guys. Yeah, then they introduce this whole mystical... So tense. This whole mystical thing <laughs> with the with the stars and the dragon going up into the... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, on a scale of one to five fireballs, where do you put Dragonheart? See, I just... I love the idea so much of a knight and a dragon being best buddies, fist bumping after tricking yeah. an entire village, but I... I the, uh, that movie. One to two fireballs. Okay. So definitely below... Easily below Dragon Slayer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like it. And, and what about like... putting aside everything else? What about just the effectiveness of the dragon as a dragon compared to Dragon Slayer? Well, um, even though it's kind of like, different, you mean because... like how scary? It, because I yeah. didn't find that dragon scary at all. Because like even when he's fighting with the knight, he's just kind of like trying to like sass him, and I'm just like, no, dude, no. Yeah. So they, they gave up a little bit. I feel bit. like I, the only talking dragon I have ever liked is Smog. Because mm -hmm. Smog is still talks, menacing. He's so menacing. Even and the when scene, he's talking. The scene in the book yeah. where he talks to Bilbo. But of course, is like I'm going to interject crazy. here and say, but in Dragonheart, dragons, this particular dragon isn't a bad guy. I mean, it's set up true, that he true. is a good guy, and so you're, he's he but should still I, be able to be menacing though because he is a dragon. Come on, people. Yeah, he breathes fire. He's not, yeah, and then it's like he's because he's attacking things later. Yeah. And in the beginning, it's not scary, even when they're fighting, because when they're, like, they're just, they just look like a they just both look like goofballs. Like when he's sitting in his mouth, it's just like 
yeah, again, they were playing it for laughs, and yeah, okay. Dragon, who wasn't scary? I'm going to do one more little geek casting shout-out, because there was this sort of monkish character in this one, Gilbert of Glockenspur, was played by Pete Postlethwaite, who uh, was in Lost World Jurassic Park. He fought with a dragon, he's fought with dinosaurs. <laughs> so let's move along, then, to... 2002 for Reign of Fire, which is a substantially different kind of dragon movie because this is a dragon movie that's set in contemporary times and there's all sorts of dragons that have almost wiped out humanity. We were both seeing this one for the first time. What was your general impression? I liked it better than both of the other movies. I still think it had flaws, significant flaws. It was not a perfect but film by any means. I was much more rah, rah, rah about it than I was. I was very movies. pleasantly surprised because my overall memory of this film from when it was released was that it was kind of a uh, box office flop. I remembered the reviews being kind of mediocre. So I wasn't really expecting much coming into this. And I didn't have any nostalgia to be ruined, <laughs> you know. Uh, like I did with Dragonheart or Dragonslayer, although with Dragonslayer I thought my nostalgia held up, but I found it to be a pretty entertaining film. Yeah. I really liked um, I really liked the angels. The practically suicidal guys that jumped from helicopters to try to uh, bring down dragons. And when the guy's like, who are they? And she's like, archangels. Yeah. Ba boom. Well, um, it, it had they're the... They're just like super awesome. It had the advantage over the previous two films to be in the day and age of super spectacular CGI so they could realize just about anything that they wanted to on the screen. I just really like it when people dive out of things. <laughs> like the space jumps in Star Trek mm -hmm. and can, the angels in this movie. Very I just exciting. really yeah. like that for some reason. <laughs> For some reasons, just... <laughs> it's it's very dramatic and, and heroic. I had a little problem with one way the film played out, which I'm sure I share with every uh, person from England. <laughs> At first, I was very amused how there's a line that when Matthew McConaughey shows up, one of the Brits says, the only thing worse than dragons... Americans. <laughs> I love it when people make fun of Americans. Which I thought was great. One. We deserve it. <laughs> but then, like it. in many ways, the film turned out to portray the Americans as the warriors that came and saved the Brits. It's, there was a little angle Well, yeah, angle but they were that. also pretty, like, it got more like It got more Marines, complicated. tanks. Yeah, but I'm sure that... I wish there was more than one woman, because they had Alex. Yeah. I wish there was... One, maybe two more buff female Marines. It seemed to me that every Brit in the audience had to be saying, oh, what? So now we, we now were just... Now we're getting saved by the Americans? We were just waiting sure. for the Americans to save us? It's Quinn, really. And it, yeah, in the end. That does it, yeah. And it, it finally saves us. Well, and I think they were kind of doing a World War II thing, playing off it, because it doesn't downplay what... Quinn and his people have gone through to survive until the Americans show up, that, that the common people of Britain had to soldier on and survive through a horrible war until 
uh, you know, and then when the Americans came into World War II, it helped really turn things around, but it doesn't... I just really like history jokes, like jokes about World War mm-hmm. II, like when people say, and then England was like, no, I don't think so. Like, yeah. that's just, I really love that when people talk about, like, World War II. It's right uh, up there with people jumping out of things. The previous two films had a single dragon. This one had a number of dragons, so they kind of just became these monsters in the background, but... Imagine, like, Vulcans on dragons. <laughs> like, riding dragons to war. Oh, my God. I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just think point, about it. Think about it. Did you say Vulcans? Yes, Vulcans. Like Spock? Like Vulcans? Spock, yeah. Picturing Vulcans riding on yeah. dragons to yeah. war. <laughs> it doesn't seem like the logical thing uh, to okay, do. Okay, but, like, imagine how great that would be <laughs> if there were, like, dragons on Vulcan. Vulcans already, like, red and hot. They could put this... Believable that there would be some dragons there. Riding dragons in a war, that'd be great. It'd be so dangerous. Since, you, since you've done this mashup of dragon mythology and Star Trek, Vulcan Dragon AU. it's a handy point to, uh, to bring up a couple of geek connections in this movie. Uh, Alexander Siddig, Dr. Bashir from DS9, turns up in a smallish role. Also, the mother of the main character, the mother, yeah. The mother of Quinn is played by Alice Krieg, who played the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact and a couple other things. It all works so, into the continuity. So it's all Star Trek. Some, it all comes back to Star Trek. Exactly. Everything. Somehow. All the time. There was a fun opening scene with young Quinn. Grown-up Quinn is played by Christian Bale. Batman. And... The kid that they cast to play young Quinn, I thought was good casting. I thought it was, yeah, was it was good. believable yeah, that was a kid good. that looked like Especially that could the first, grow up. The to... first when they when you see the the first shot of him when he's an adult mm-hmm. and he lights the Zippo and mm-hmm. leans forward, you're like, wow, that's the yeah. same person. Yeah. So you get the opening scene that's set in present day where they're building another tube station or something in London, and they awaken the dragons, and he's right there. And loses his mother, and then it flashes forward to 2020 after uh, the dragons have destroyed much of the world. And but they do this instead of just cutting. They do this montage with a voiceover newspaper montage and classic. It was a, yeah attempted to be <laughs> classic, but I found it kind of rushed and awkward. I mean, even the voiceover, it seemed like yeah. Christian Bale was just talking like this. And blah, yep. blah, blah, blah. It was just like rattling yeah. stuff off. Poor Batman. And it's like, you don't really have to over-explain that this. That works in the continuity, we... too. Yep. <laughs> because both of his parents are dead. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, man. So, <laughs> so I, I thought Ooh. they didn't need to explain it that much. It's like, we get it. Hordes of dragons came out and laid waste to the earth. It was this post-apocalyptic dragon world that I thought overall was very effectively done. It was a believable world. I'm just still laughing at Batman. Because whenever I think about oh, Batman, I a... just... Abed from Community. <laughs> Who's the best Batman? <laughs> the Night Calls. <laughs> I think when... It says, hey, Abed, in the coming f- out. <laughs> in the future, when people look back and judge who was the greatest Batman, I hope they don't forget about Abed. And then he tries to do the like zip line thing out the window and just like falls. <laughs> yes. 
Let's, yep, let's bring it back to dragons. They had kind of an interesting concept behind the dragons. They made them realistic, as, as realistic as you can make dragons in the real world, because they talked a little bit about how they made fire, that they have these glands with two different chemicals that when mm-hmm. they combine. Yeah. And then they did this little bit about their uh, life cycle, that there was really only one male. And they realized that if they could track down the bull and take him out, that then eventually the dragons would all die out. So then that turned into this big confrontation in London where just a few of the people went back to London and uh, and Quinn had to face down... I really down. liked the shots of post-apocalyptic yeah. modern London. It was great. You could see they spent a ton of money yeah. on this movie because it was very effective, destroyed London. And then Quinn had to face his nightmares, basically, because he ended up back right where he lost his mother when the dragon originally Mm -hmm. came out i thought that was relatively effective matthew mcconaughey's gung-ho american psycho soldier guy got a little over the top with the end of that character but uh, it kind of made sense the way they had developed him that he was a little insane the way he approached dragon killing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then there was just a nice uh, scene at the end where you saw that humanity was gonna survive because there would be no new dragons insert montage of people rebuilding things to build me (laughs) a buttercup (laughs) baby just let me down let me down Things fall over. It'd be great. Like a sitcom. (laughs) People are (laughs) rebuilding London. Uh, Rain of fire. One to five fireballs. What would you give it? Um, three or four fireballs. Maybe a little bit over four, but not five. It definitely doesn't deserve five because of a couple of clunky choices. But yeah, I think three or four is a good rating. Uh... Which actually, surprisingly, amazingly, odds makers in Vegas did not see this coming. We're putting Reign of Fire as the best of the three. I think that's only because we didn't include Desolation of Smog, though. Yeah. Or There and Back Again, which I refuse yeah. to call the Battle of Five Armies. Yes. Yeah, we wanted to n- not have this turn into a Middle Earth conversation, so we have focused on other films. So, wow, Reign of Fire on top mm-hmm. of these three. Yeah. Who saw it coming? I didn't. Nobody. Nobody saw it coming. Plot twist. You wanted to talk about an odd little thing called Dragon's World. That. A fantasy made real was the My subtitle. My entire childhood. It's got over and over a number and of over. titles. I believe it was a made-for-TV movie in England that might have been gotten limited theatrical release in the states. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm afraid to watch it again. I think I'll think it's cheesy, but um. It is cheesy, but it had some very likable so moments. It's like a it's like a documentary. These like archaeologists find uh, remnants of dragons and are like investigating, and then you have flashbacks to. Yeah. When the dragons were alive. And it, it's like, it, uh, it tries to present dragons as real in our real world in a mock so documentary bad. way. I think if you watched it now, yeah, I'm scared. You, would, you might have the experience that I had watching Dragonheart, where you would be disappointed upon review. Yeah, probably. Uh, oh, which, we haven't talked about the dragons in Merlin. What do you want to say about the dra- dragons in Merlin? I say dragons because if we're going to be completely canon about it there are two dragons just one of them doesn't have very many things um anyways there's this dragon and it like is chained up in the basements of camelot and uh and this is an intelligent speaking dragon again very and it calls out to merlin like Mm -hmm. the knight to abed batman hey come hang out 
Um, <laughs> so Merlin goes and talks to it, and he's like, you have to fulfill your destiny, and then Merlin always goes to the dragon for advice, and then after a while, um, the dragon's like, bro, you gotta let me out of here, buddy. And Merlin's like, um, okay, I guess, but you gotta promise not to hurt Camelot. And the dragon's like, of course, Merlin. And then he lets him out, and the dragon lays waste to the entire city. Dragons. They'll turn on you like they, a snake in the I grass. I mean, he was, I don't, he was chained up in that dungeon for who knows how many years. So I don't know why Merlin thought he was somehow capable of not trying had, to take revenge. He had legitimate grievances. He did. And then later there's a plot twist where it turns out that Merlin's father, who he tragically never knew, was like the last, I don't remember what to actually call him. He was like the last dragon guy. We're going to say dragon guy. It's going to be a lot less <laughs> powerful than it was in the TV show. Yeah. Anyways, so he can like... Call out to the dragons like the knight, like, come hang out. And then the dragon... Dragon whisperer? Yeah. <laughs> and then the dragons have to do what he says. So then when the dragon's laying waste, he figures out that he can actually control it. And he's like... And, like, yells in this ancient language. And the dragon's like, okay, what? And he's like, you have to do what I say now. And the dragon's like, yeah, I guess. And then the dragon turns into, like, a semi-villain, kind of. And Merlin doesn't really talk to him anymore. And then after a while, like, the dragon's dying and it's sad because, mm -hmm, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, then there's another dragon. Yes, but here's, here's in, instead of telling us the entire five seasons. I would. I will. I'll do it. I know. that. I'm, that's why I'm trying to stop you. I just want a blurb that compares the dragon in Merlin to the other dragons that we've talked about in these major um, films. He seems to have more of a sense of logic. Mm-hmm. And even though he knows that things are going to go downhill if he attacks Camelot, he does. Yeah. But, like, he's, he's, he has more of a process in his thoughts. In your list of favorite dragons, I believe What's you put Smog atop, right? Definitely. Love Smog. Then where would the dragon from Merlin show up in there? I'm assuming it would be above Dragonheart. Above Draco. He's a legit character in the mm -hmm. show. He's pretty yeah. interesting. He's a, he, and he has he's an, backstory. And he's integral to the overall... It's extremely Plot. so. Yeah. But also, the other dragon on Merlin broke my heart pretty bad, mm -hmm. so um, she was a really cool character too. But I think, I think maybe they're like buddies. They're like tied for second. Mm -hmm. And what if the dragon from Dragonslayer and the dragon from Dragonheart and the king dragon from Reign of Fire... Are you going to ask me who would win in a fight? And the dragon from Merlin in a big cage match. Both of the dragons from Merlin? Or just the... Because just one. Just the, just the big one? Yep. Because, okay, so here's what happened. The big dragons would be arguing, the ones that talk would be arguing, mm -hmm. right? And the big, the, the, are you talking about the male dragon from Rain of Fire? Yeah, the main. Okay, he would just be lighting the arena or whatever on fire, like trying to bust out uh, while the two other dragons that talk are arguing. And then, um, well, there are more than, if, are we counting smog? I'm sure, throw smog into the cage okay. match. Okay, so the three dragons that talk would, like, I'll be arguing, right? And then after a while, Smog and the dragon from Merlin would like look at each other and then both light up the dragon from Dragonheart. <laughs> and then they would keep arguing. I think, so if it, if it came down to just fighting, mm -hmm. I think the dragon from Reign of Fire would win because he's so big. But Smog is also really clever. <laughs> so if it was just like physical prowess, I think the dragon from Reign of Fire would win. Okay. I think that the dragon from Dragonheart would die almost right away just because he would annoy all the other, like, serious dragons. Especially Smog. I feel like Smog <laughs> would really hate him. Like, a lot. <laughs> I want to write, like, a one-shot where he just, like, annoys Smog to the point where he's like, Oh my god! But Smog. You're worse than the dogs! <laughs> 
but schmog. Get out of my mountain! <laughs> Anyways, if we're talking about, like, wits, I feel like it would be a huge thing between the dragon from Merlin and Smog. Because the dragon from Merlin is crafty, mm. but Smog, he doesn't care. He's just like, shut up. That's all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next month for episode 21, S.H.I.E.L.D. Takes Over the World. As the first season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wraps up, we'll be talking about the ever-expanding world of S.H.I.E.L.D. as seen in the Marvel movies and TV shows. Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from aboard Agent Coulson's bus. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. Thanks for listening, and come Come back back next time. were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny.